Romans chapter 14. So good to be able to say that with all of you here today. Romans chapter 14, please turn there. We started last week a study in Romans 14, one of the great liberty chapters in Scripture. Okay, you might say, oh boy, I love the idea of Christian liberty. That means I do whatever I want. Well, in a sense, that's true, but in another sense, make sure what you want is what God wants. All right? The uh, title today is a question. Can we have both liberty and unity? Okay, now, if you just see those as words on a page, you do not understand the incredible tension that is there in that phrase. If you've been in the ministry or in local church for any part of your life, and I'm talking about even a sound local church, there is an incredible tension between the issue of liberty and unity, okay? Now, it's, the answer's not complicated, but people don't get it. People don't understand it the way they should. And so, Lord willing, we will be able to go through this today, a little bit of review from last week, because it's all together, and then we'll move on. Now, let me say an introduction. Out of all the places where there should be love and harmony, it should be in the local church, But oftentimes, that is not the case. When unity is lacking, lacking, effectiveness will also lack. Now, some pastors, they believe the answer to that is have 5,000 rules that everybody has to follow. And it's kind of like a, a forced unity. It's a forced unity. And in reality, there may be people who are jumping through the hoops and following it for fear of being rebuked from the pulpit and embarrassed and so forth. In some churches, that is the way it is, by the way. So some are doing it that way, thinking that, well, we have unity, when in fact, they may have a whole bunch of rebels in their heart in the uh, congregation. That's not unity, okay? It's like the old, old story where there was a little boy. He was rebellious. He was rebellious, but there was a little boy, and, and uh, he wouldn't sit down. He was supposed to sit down in the service. He kept standing, and, and you know they kept telling him, you need to sit down. You need to sit down. They'd push him down. He'd stand up. They'd push him down. He'd stand up. They'd push him down. He'd stand up. Finally, they said, now, you listen. And they just got really firm, put their hands on his shoulders, and said, you sit down. And he looked up and he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Okay? Let me tell you something, folks. God doesn't take lightly to the issue of rebellion. All right? Now, you can have all the rules in the world and not have unity. But when the Spirit of God and when the Word of God controls the actions of a believer... That will lead to unity. That will lead to the fruit of the Spirit. That will lead to love. This has got to be something that, yes, we get educated from the outside, but we allow that to affect us on the inside, and then our service works out the way it's supposed to be. That's God's way. Romans 14.1. Remember, when unity is lacking, effectiveness is also lacking. Romans 14.1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. Remember, he's writing to the church at Rome, so he's talking about local church life, okay? Disputes over doubtful things. One commentator said the word doubt. He defined it as this, that state of mind that hesitates between two contradictory conclusions, all right? That state of mind that hesitates between two contradictory conclusions. Verse two, 
For one believeth he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Okay, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. There are people, they've got a thing about eating this or eating that. In New Testament times, there was a big issue, I covered it last week, about eating meat that was offered to idols. There was nothing wrong with eating that meat, but people coming out of the false religions that had the meat offered to their idol, their old idol, they had a hard time with Christians buying that at the discounted price in the marketplace. And so when they found out, you know, as an example, let's say, hey, why don't you come over for dinner after church today? Oh, great. Can we be, yeah, bring the whole family. It'll be a great time. And so uh, this new believer who came out of idol worship, they come over and so they see this roast and and oh my, but that roast looked good. Yeah, we got it. You know, we got it at a good price down at the marketplace. Believe it or not, it was discounted because it was offered to the idol, to the god Zeus or whatever. And all of a sudden, a person's jaw drops. Well, that's their old god, and they don't think that it's okay to do that. Now you've got somebody offended. Okay, now they're offended. They're bothered. If they eat it, it violates their conscience. If they don't eat it, the host is offended. Now you've got an issue, right? What was meant for good is now a problem. And there's all kinds of applications to that. And this is what they were facing, all right? So let's look at these things. And and a couple of these points are in review again. And the first one I want to mention is this. Because people are different, they see things differently, okay? Because people are different, they see things differently. We need to have patience, towards people. Trying to prove who is right on every little point, that is not going to help anything. It's only going to divide. We need to keep the focus, the focus, Jesus Christ and the gospel, bringing glory to God, not I'm right, you're wrong, okay? Now again, I'm not not talking about the clear teaching in scripture. Hear me on this. I am not suggesting for a moment that we start putting question marks where God puts periods so to speak. There are many truths in the word of God that are non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. Fornication is always wrong. Doesn't matter if it's between people who love each other or not, okay? Alternative lifestyles, always wrong, according to scripture. Uh, Covetousness, always wrong. Pornography, always wrong. Gossip, always wrong. Always wrong, according to scripture. Okay, evolution, always wrong. Humanism, always wrong. You see what I'm saying? These things are not negotiable. It's like, well, or how about this one? The deity of Christ. Well, I believe Jesus is God. The Bible says Jesus is God. Well, you know, he was, he, was, he was like God. I mean, it was a good example. I don't know that he was God or not. Now, friend, that's part of the faith. That's not negotiable. No, he is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. There's no liberty on that. That one is set in cement. That one is not changing. There's no reason to even have a dialogue about them for God has clearly spoken. But when we talk about the faith, it must be what the Bible has always said about it, okay? The faith is not something that is, that is evolving. You're not gonna get a new part of the faith. It's not gonna come up, you know, like a lost island that's been underwater for years and all of a sudden, oh, there's, there's a new part of the faith. No, the faith has been the faith. 
for over 2,000 years now, or around 2,000 years. Jude chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for, look at it, the faith, and look at the next phrase, which was once delivered unto the saints. Do you see that? It was once delivered. It's not being delivered anymore. In other words, when it was written, that is the biblical standard, not some preferences that we have today. Those preferences are not the word of God. In those preferences, there is liberty. Although I do not have to adopt someone else's preferences as my own preferences. And this is where you know, people have a hard time with that. I'll give you an example of this. I'll give you an example. Now, in our church, we have, a, we have a piano, we have a keyboard, all right? There are churches you can go into, sweet people, churches filled with sweet, nice Christians, and you can go into them, and they don't have any musical instruments at all. All they're singing is a cappella. all right? Pastor, what do you think about that? I went to this church, they had no instruments. What do you think about that? You know what I say? You know what I think about that? Here's what I think about that. You're asking for my opinion. I don't know what it's worth on this, but here's what I think about that. Good for them. If that works for them, that's fabulous. Well, wait a minute though. We have piano and a keyboard. Yeah, we do. And you know what? Some other churches will have more than that. That's not the faith. That's not the faith. Now, wait a minute. I'm not saying some church that's got electric guitars and drums and and this thing and that thing and all these other things. I'm not saying that they're going to pressure me for me to change the way they are because we're not going to do it. But that's liberty. That's liberty. You might say, well, wait a minute, though. Don't you think this instrument, that thing, these things are of the devil? No. You know what? Musical instruments are interesting, folks. You can use it for the devil or you can use it for Christ. You can use it for the devil or you can use it for Christ. It's the musician. It's not the instrument, usually. There may be exceptions to that. I don't know. A very light musician. So the biblical standard, the biblical standard, what people do in other churches is one thing. What we do in our church is another. There's liberty there. I know uh, Dr. Yankee Arnold pastors down in Tampa, uh, Calvary Community Church, Before every service, they have a group of guys get up front. They call them the Firehouse Five. It's funny because there's usually more than five. And what they do is they, it's almost like they have uh, camp songs that they do. And they've got kind of like a short little, the little, little band. They don't have drums, but they've got a, they got a lady who plays an electric violin. She's kind of like, and it's more of a, a country kind of thing. Why? Well, the pastor is Yankee Arnold. All right. And if Yankee's been here and you know what I'm talking about, But this is what they do. But the people sing for like 10, 15 minutes before even the service begins. It's kind of like a call to worship kind of thing. But it's more of a southern gospel country kind of thing. Now, some people say, oh, I can't stand that stuff. I'm glad we don't have that in our church. Well, you know what? We're probably not going to adopt that. But is there anything wrong with it? No. And here's a secret. We kind of like it. It's very unique, and you go there, but you can't help but have your spirits lifted 
and it's an encouraging time. And I've had many times, a few the times we've, uh, we've been down there and I've spoken, I've had times when it's like, you know what, man, if I wasn't speaking, I'd love to jump up there. Give me a guitar. Let's get going on this. Okay? I say, you're awful. Well, where's that in the Bible that you can't do that? Listen, you might as well learn to love me now. You're going to spend forever with me. Okay? <laughs> And by the way, that's reciprocal. (laughs) So, number one, because people are different, they see things differently. Accept that. Accept that, okay? I'm not talking about sin is okay. I'm talking about things that are not written in Scripture. You've, You've got to have some flexibility on that. You have to. Secondly, we will be held accountable for our actions. That's the balance of all of this. We will be held accountable for our actions. You might say, wait a minute, I thought once we're saved, there's no judgment. No, friend, once you're saved, you're saved forever. You are going to heaven, but the very truth is this, as we're going to see in our text now. When we get to heaven, we will stand at something called the judgment seat of Christ, where our lives, once we got saved, our lives will be judged, will be judged. We are going to give an account, and that word means a verbal answer for the life we've lived since we got saved. So our salvation is, is not, God never intended it once we're saved to live in sin with our freedom, seeing we can't ever be lost. No, he wants us to live for him. Look at it, verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Do you see that? Why are you judging your brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? This word means, this means to set it not means to show contempt or despise. Now this is talking about in local church. Christian against Christian, one despising the other. What in the world is going on? That is the farthest thing away from Christ-like character that you could get shouldn't be happening. Verse 11, for as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. We are going to confess, acknowledge, agree with God. That's what confess means. Verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. This is the vital issue when dealing with the exercise of liberty. And as I shared last week, I find unbelievable joy and freedom in this. You know what, friend? And even even when when I hear of a believer who's doing something that is definitely wrong, okay, and so forth, they're not gonna give an account to me on that. They're gonna give an account to God. They are going to be judged by God himself. And he knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart according to 1 Corinthians chapter four dealing with this issue. And God's judgment will be the perfect judgment in that case. Perfect. I don't have to worry about it. This speaks of the judgment seat of Christ that takes place in heaven for all who have trusted Christ the Savior. We will be judged concerning the life we lived after we were saved. Hold your place here and look with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment, very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, it says this, for we must all appear, believers, must, it's going to happen, all, every one of us, appear, stand in front of, for we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Whether it be good or bad. This is what God says about this. So a believer may be doing something that, you know, I see as questionable. Now, by the way, I'm not talking about not, not believing in church discipline, things like that, but those things have to do with clear-cut sin. But they're going to give an account. Back to Romans 14, and we come to verse 13, which I believe Romans 14, 13 is the key verse in this chapter, or at least one of them. It says this, let us not therefore, therefore based on what? That every one of us will individually stand at the judgment seat of Christ and answer for ourselves. And Paul says, let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. This is the perfect balance of the entire chapter. Yes, we have liberty. Yes, we shouldn't judge on these things. But at the same time, don't stop there. God says, yet as far as your liberty goes, don't do anything that is going to cause another person to stumble or be offended. Now, again, this is within reason because there are some people who live to be offended. And no matter what you do, you'll never please them. That's why Paul said in chapter 12, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Because there are some people, you can't live at peace with them. You just can't do it. Which leads us to our third point. While we have liberty to see things differently, and we will because we're different, it is a sin to cause another person to be offended. Okay? So on my side, I need to leave room for my brother to exercise his liberty. Why? Because he's different than I am. But on his side, he needs to be mindful not to cause me to stumble when exercising his liberty. So I grant him liberty because God says I need to grant him liberty because he's different than I am. But him exercising his liberty, he needs to be careful not to do things that are offensive to me. So if I have the mentality of give him space, he has the command, don't offend with the space you have. Does that make sense? It's what he's saying. He needs to be mindful not to cause me to stumble when exercising his liberty. Now, folks, here's where we find ourselves today. Many proclaim the first part of that but they don't care at all about the second part. They latch on to freedom. I can do what I want. All this, you know, I can be carnal in that way. You know, and and the Bible isn't specific, so therefore I'll run with this as far as I can and get as close to the edge of wrong, as close to the edge of actually violating a black and white scripture. And I dare anybody to say anything about it. That is a rebellious, carnal attitude. It is a sinful attitude. That is not the way we should see our liberty. As a matter of fact, hold your place here in Romans again. Look at Galatians 5. And I know I've quoted this verse many, many times because it is an incredibly important verse on this issue. Galatians chapter 5. And if you get this, you get it. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Boy, I could tell you stories on all this issue of liberty and freedom and unity and says this, for brethren, talking to believers, you've been called unto liberty. Freedom, we have liberty. 
Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. You're no longer under the law, no longer under bondage. You have freedom. Your sins are paid for. Your sins are gone. Your chains are gone like they sung this morning. And you've got freedom in Christ. What a glorious thing. What a glorious thing. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty only. Let's qualify it. Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, your old nature, your sin nature, but by love serve one another. Look at the verse. Let's do it this way. Cut out the middle part. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. By love serve one another. That is what Christian liberty is about. Okay? We govern our liberty by love. We govern our liberty by love. Might say, well, I don't like that. I don't want people being bothered by anything I do. Well, why don't you do this? Serve the Lord. If they're bothered by that, they've got a real spiritual problem. Because <laughs> you're doing what you ought to do as a believer. And if they're a believer, they ought to be doing it too. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians eight thirteen, Wherefore, if meat or eating meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend. Keep that in mind, all right? Back to Romans 14 and verse 15. It says, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. You're not walking in love if somebody is, if you're causing them to stumble. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not your good be evil spoken of. Now the good here is the exercise of our liberty that you can do with a good conscience. It's the exercise of your liberty that you can do with a good conscience. No one should look at that and say, I'm offended by that. I'm offended by what you're doing. Okay, and again, we're not talking about somebody who you can never please. We're talking about regular believers, particularly those who are weak in the faith, who are new believers, who don't quite have a handle on the issue of liberty. What is our responsibility? To help them over time, to see it to encourage them in their walk with Christ, that they would grow spiritually as a believer, that they could see this one day. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, okay, it's more than that, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, it's not these tangible things, it's the intangible spiritual qualities God wants in our lives. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for church splits. No. Follow the things that make for peace. You know, isn't that what we want? An environment in life of peace and harmony and love? Okay, well then, you know what? I can't make somebody do their part, but I can sure do my part in that. I can sure do my part. And the things wherewith one may do what? Edify another. You know what the word edify means? It means to build up. Edify. We get our English word edifice. Okay? We think of a structure that gets built. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be building up each other. Now, I'm not going to do that if I'm offending my brother or sister. I'm not building them up. I'm causing a problem. I'm at least putting a halt on the building project. What I need to be doing is caring more about them than I do about myself and saying, well, what, you know, I want to build them up. I want to encourage them to go on to maturity as believer, to grow. Well, 
Be careful how you handle your freedom then, your liberty. Verse 20, for meat, destroy for meat. In other words, for the sake of meat, for your freedom to eat meat, and somebody's offended by that. Now again, this doesn't much happen nowadays unless there's some person who's still involved in PETA. All right, they're not gonna be offended that you eat meat. If they are offended that you eat meat, there's an easy solution. You take the meat and you bring it to my house. <laughs> and don't tell them. Don't, don't tell them. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Evil. In other words, if I know that something I'm doing is offending somebody and I don't care and I'm in, I'm in their face with this, that's evil, that's wrong. Why? Well, because it's sin and sin is always evil. It is wrong for me to exercise my liberty if it offends someone. Let us do all things to bring peace and harmony. Now, folks, again, we're not talking about I have a right to sin. In other words, I have a right to do something Scripture clearly says is wrong. No, that's not an issue of liberty. That's an issue of sin, pure sin. There's no judgment call on that. The judge has already spoken on that issue. We are talking about the things that are not written in Scripture, that are preferences. I touched on this last week, but let me just bring it up again. It just came to my mind, so maybe the Lord wanted me to do it. Some ladies come to our church, they wear pants. Some ladies come, they wear skirts or dresses. Don't judge each other. Don't judge each other. Well, but it says in Deuteronomy, now wait a minute, you're taking that way out of context, that Deuteronomy passage. If you need explanation, come see me on that. Because the truth of it is, if you are going to follow Deuteronomy and say a woman can't wear pants, pants are not mentioned there, by the way. If you are going to follow that, you also are probably living in violation because it says you're not allowed to wear any garment that is of a mixed material. So if you're wearing anything that is 50% this and 50% something else, you are offending that passage just as much as what you're saying. On that, back off. I'd say, well, I think it's appropriate that, you know, this or that. Great, great. But let's not make that a heaven and hell issue. It's not. It's not. I was raised Catholic. Can you believe growing up we learned, this is what we were taught, that if you eat meat on Friday, you'll go to hell? It's a mortal sin. Then years later, they changed it. So here's all these people all these years burning in hell because they ate meat. And now you can eat it and you don't. Boy, were they born at the wrong time. No, the truth of it is, that is a man-made religion, and it is false. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Now that, by the way, is anti-the faith. That is against Scripture, and we will stand against that because that's a false teaching. Verse 21, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Has thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. Judge, because he eateth not in faith. You can't do it in good faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So let's go to the last point. Well, second to the last point today. And it's a very important one. 
And it is this, it's the question, can we have liberty and unity? Can we? The answer to that is absolutely yes. I want to cover four key goals in all of this. Four key goals. And I believe if we keep these things in mind, we can have both liberty and unity. First is this. While we have liberty, we should have, especially in the local church, a motivation for unity and being a team player. The local church is a team. The local church is a body, okay? And everybody needs to be functioning properly and doing what they are supposed to do. This is key. We see that in verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. If everybody's thinking that way, we'll have unity even though there's diversity. Diversity in a true sense. Diverse, we're different. That's what it means. We are to build up one another with the exercise of our liberty. We must have the goal of being like-minded in our purpose and be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of the gospel. I must be willing to give up something in my life if it means that ultimately our church will be more effective for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul understood this. This was a driver in his life. He said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, but none of these things, now the things he was looking at was predicted, prophesied persecution that was coming his way. He says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, you know what? I don't consider my life dear to myself. If you've been with us in our study on Wednesday nights through Philippians, the mindset that cannot fail, what does he say in 121? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We ought to be 127, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is what it is all about. Much of the grace and liberty teaching today is producing Christians at large And it is destroying churches, destroying churches. I was reading this this week a uh, a reputable company that takes polls within Christianity. They had something very revealing that they said. They said, you know, everybody, when we went to, when we couldn't meet and then everybody just simply went online and was streaming, people were saying, and we were saying, and it was true, We're saying, you know, like, it's amazing. We're picking up people. We've got new listeners. We've got new people watching and all this. And and this is great. This seems like it's really, really taking off. And what a blessing, you know. We wouldn't have known this if all these kind of things. And here's what they said. Here's what they said in this article. After Easter Sunday, people watching their church online went down 50%. 50%. And so they quit watching their churches, and if they were watching something online, it was another church and not their own. And most of those who were watching other churches were watching megachurches, not their local church, if it wasn't a megachurch. Folks, that is not helping the body of Christ one bit. Now, I know we've got a lot of loyal people in our church, and and I'm very grateful for that. But uh, we need to have a mindset, okay? We need to have a mindset that we are going to be team players. And that means we are with each other through thick and thin, 
through times of blessing, times of testing. We're there. We're there for each other. We're not going anywhere. Very, very important. This mindset that's out there, though, today, there is so much diversity in that that there's no unity. There's no unity. Now, with that in mind, leads us to our second goal, and it is this. Every church has the right to have standards, but they should be reasonable and prayerfully considered. Every church has a right to have standards. Now, we're so far moved from this today that people don't even know what we mean when we say standards. Every church has the right to have standards, but they should be reasonable and prayerfully considered. When you talk about standards, people having standards, immediately people scream out today, I don't believe in that, that's legalism. Let me say this with all, my, all the kindness I possess, dear friend, you don't know what you're talking about. You have been conditioned, you're just polyparroting somebody else, you don't know what you're talking about. Legalism, if you boil it down and let it keep boiling, Legalism is nothing more than self-righteousness. That's what legalism is. Self-righteous. You either look to yourself to earn your salvation or you look to your own works that makes you spiritual because you do certain things. It's a self-righteous attitude. It's a pharisaical attitude. Okay, that's what legalism is. Legalism is not the presence of rules or the presence of standards. You can have one person living under the same standards and one is living by grace and the other one's a legalist. It's not the standards that's the problem. Usually it's the issue of the, it's the uh, condition of the heart. See, here's the truth. Everyone has standards. Everyone. If you don't have any stand, well, number one, there's nobody who doesn't. But if you were a person who did not have any standards, you would simply be an animal. That's what you would be. You have standards. No, no, I don't have standards. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You want me to prove it to you? Okay, I knew you did. Here you go. <laughs> For church, why do we come to worship at 1030 and not 11? It's a standard. It's something we've chosen to live by. It's the way we've chosen to function. We didn't have to decide church will be at 1030. We thought about it many years ago and we decided that's when church would be. As soon as you say we're starting at 1030, not 11, you set a standard for yourself. It's a standard. Why do you have musical instruments? Why do you have the musical instruments you do in your auditorium and not other instruments? Choices were made. We set a standard. That's not legalism. It's simply, you have to have some standards to function as people. You have to. Why do you take the offering the way you do? Do you know what? There are churches that they don't take an offering till after the service. I mean, and this is when you are passing the plate, so to speak. There are churches that they don't take an offering to, uh, until after the service. We've been to churches that way before. Now listen, I know human nature too well. I don't get that. Because what that's going to lead to is people rating the message or rating how much they give according to the message they just heard. I say get the money before the message. (laughs) That makes more sense to me. But you know what? Listen, here's the truth of it. Now, listen, we never beg for money, and you know that. You know that. But here's the truth of it. That is a preference. That is a choice you can make. 
And I can have sweet fellowship with a pastor who takes the offering at the end of the service and he can have it with me and we take it before the message. It doesn't matter. You understand? But it is a standard. That's not legalism. Well, you differ than me in that. You're legalist. No, you're a legalist. Yeah, you sound like you're on the left today. The political left. They can't win an argument, so they start name-calling. Christian, don't stoop to that low. Why do the ushers wear coats and ties? Oh, this is a controversial one. I don't like that. Why don't you like it? What's the big deal? Are they sinning? Do you know we've had people get in a huff? They've come to our church and people are, uh, they have coats and ties on here. Well, not everybody does. We've got people here today that don't have coats and ties on. Okay, men. You know as well as I do, you've never been looked down on or made fun of or told you can't come or you got to, no, 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 that's not that. But we say, you know what, we would like this to be this way. It's not we think we're better than you. That would be legalism. That would be wrong. It's like this is just it's the way we want to function. It's an issue of respect for God. It's not a, it's, it's, listen, don't come or leave over stuff like this. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Why do the ushers come down the middle aisle and go out that way? I don't think that's right. They came this way, they should go that way. You know what? Start your own church. We live in America, right? Here you go. Why is the pastor usually expected to dress a certain way? I say, well, no, pastor, though, there's a lot of pastors today, pastor. I mean, don't you know? You know, they've got the guinea pig hair. They've got, you need to think about that one, okay? They wear a T-shirt. They wear jeans. Maybe there's holes in their jeans and all that. Well, don't you know they, they yeah, and you know what? If that's what they want to do, they can do that. They can do that that's what they want to do. But I don't want to do that. So are you going to judge me and tell me I'm a bad person, I'm a legalist because that's not what I want to do? Where's that in the Bible? Truth of it is this. Well, I won't, I won't go there. That's my opinion. Here's the truth of it. What would you think of me if I showed up next Sunday and I was in shorts and I was in a t-shirt and I had flip-flops on? You'd have a problem with that. You know what? In itself, in itself, I have every right to do that because I'm free. But I don't have a right to cause you to be offended. That's the difference. Do you see? This is how liberty works out. Therefore, I will limit my liberty because I love you and I don't want to offend you and I want us to work together for a greater outreach. This is how this fits. Third principle We should do nothing that causes another to stumble. We've already seen that, verse 20 and 21. In the local church, we should do nothing as a group that causes the group to stumble. It is unavoidable at times to have a difference of opinion on non-essential issues. Keep them non-essentials, we won't have a problem. But when we start saying this thing is part of the faith and it's not, that's when there's a problem. Folks, there's always a problem when we violate scripture, okay? The last point is this. If you can't do something in faith, truly knowing that it is okay with the Lord, then it is wrong for you to do it. The old saying, when in doubt, don't. That fits here, okay? One last thing, one last thing today. Let me ask you today, do you have the liberty or freedom that we've been talking about? Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? 
I've never heard any of this stuff. But you talked about a person being saved and knowing they're saved and, and all of that. Is that something you can really know? Yeah, you can really know. You can really know. Uh, look with me over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter five. Friend, God wants you to be his child. You can be his child. You might say, what's it gonna cost me? It's gonna cost you nothing, nothing. Don't you get these ministries on the radio? Again, they can do this. It's okay, I'm not gonna do it, but they can do this. They say this, we have this resource we're offering and you can have it for free for a gift of any amount. (laughs) Have you heard that? Okay, you can do that. We're not gonna do that. God says this, do you want eternal life? You can have it for free because Jesus paid the price and he offers it to you for free. You can have eternal life as a gift. There's no strings attached. All you need to do is trust in him and he will give you the gift of eternal life. Let me tell you why you need that. Because if you die without having trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you will spend forever separated from God because of your sin. I say, don't they go to hell because of unbelief? As far as a decision, yes. But if there wasn't the sin problem, there wouldn't be that issue. Look up here, this hand representing you and me and my wallet represents our sin. Here we are, we're all sinners. God loves us, he hates our sin. It separates us from him. You can't go to heaven with even one sin because heaven's a perfect place. God says we have it, we've sinned, a penalty must be paid. We've broken God's laws, a price has to be paid. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We'd have to die and spend forever in hell. God doesn't want that for you and me. No amount of good works will take away the sin because good works would only be piling on top of the sin. It wouldn't be taking it away. The scripture makes it very clear. Here in Romans, look at chapter four and verse five. It says, but to him that worketh not, you don't do anything, but believe, you believe on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. God is only looking for faith. Faith in what? In Jesus Christ and what he did. Watch this. Because there's nothing we could do to pay for our sin. God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Sinless, Jesus went to the cross. He paid for our sin. He was buried and rose three days later. He says this, if you believe, if you trust in him that he paid for your sin, he'll give you as a gift everlasting life. You're putting your faith in him to get you to heaven. You're not putting your faith in yourself with your sin because that's what you have. You're not putting your faith in yourself to get you to heaven. You can't get to heaven. The sin has to be gone. The only way is by trusting Christ. When you do, your sins are taken away. They are forgiven. But this is the only way. You're in chapter four. Look at chapter five and verse eight. But God commendeth or displayed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a wondrous thing. God displayed his love, his love. God loves you. He wants you to be his child. And if you will put your faith, your trust in him, in Christ as your savior, God that moment will give you everlasting life. You go to heaven. Well, I have everlasting life when I die. Yeah, but it's even better than that. You have everlasting life the moment you believe. You have it now if you believe. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son of God has not life. These things I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, you may know that you have eternal life. 
Trust him. Would you do that? Trust him today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.